welcome to Speaking of College. Welcome, it's your source for reliable knowledge. Oh yeah, we got Dr. P as your host. As your host, we gon' tell you what you need to know. Need to know. Need to know. The more you know, the more you grow. The more you grow. The more you know, the more you grow. Grow. Get more knowledge. Knowledge. Welcome to Speaking of College. Speaking of College. Yeah. Welcome to Speaking of College, your source for reliable answers to college-related questions. I'm your host, Amelia Parnell, and I'm excited to bring you the first episode of Season 2. Each year, millions of students enroll in community colleges across the United States. So this is a good time to talk about what makes community colleges so special, and I had a good conversation with my friend, Dr. Ebony Zamani Gallagher. During the break, I'll tell you about a free resource that can help you plan to apply for financial aid. And I'll close the episode with a question about what to do if your first choice of a college might not work out financially. Now let's get into the show. Welcome to Speaking of College, your source for reliable answers to college-related questions. I'm your host, Amelia Parnell, and today's episode is all about community colleges. As some of you know, there are lots of colleges across the United States to choose from, and community colleges are one of the best kinds. That's why I'm excited to have my friend, Dr. Ebony Zamani Gallagher, on the show with me today. Ebony is currently at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign, where she holds three important roles as Professor of Higher Education and Community College Leadership, Director of the Office of Community College Research and Leadership, and Executive Director of the Council for the Study of Community Colleges. Dr. Zamani Gallagher has received numerous awards for her work, including the Council for the Study of Community Colleges Senior Scholar Award, the American College Personnel Association Senior Scholar Award, and the Founders Service Award from the Association for the Study of Higher Education's Council on Ethnic Participation, to name a few. Ebony holds a PhD in Higher Education Administration with a specialization in Community College Leadership and Educational Evaluation from the University of Illinois at Champaign. Her teaching, research, and consulting activities largely include psychosocial adjustment and the transition of marginalized collegians transfer access policies, student development, and services at community colleges. Needless to say, Ebony is an expert on all things community colleges, and I'm so excited about this conversation. Ebony, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Happy to have you here. And I'm really excited about this. And it's actually a topic that someone wrote me and asked me, when, I'm, when am I going to be doing an episode related to community colleges? So I said, well, I'm definitely going to do one. And you were the first person that came to mind. So to kick the show off, I'm going to ask you the same question I ask all of my guests. We always start at the beginning. So we know where you finished your formal education and training at the University of Alabama, uh, uh, Illinois, Banner Champaign. But if you think back to your college journey and where you started, where did you first start your college journey? And what were some of the major factors that influenced your decision to go there? Well, let's see. You know, I, uh, I started my college journey at Western Illinois University. Uh, it's in Macomb, Illinois. It's one of uh, the state's, um, you know, comprehensive um, state institutions, universities, four-year institution. And I think for, for us at the time with my family, a major factor that influenced uh, my decision and our decision for me to, to uh, go on to, to college there um, was a couple of factors. One, I had applied to five institutions and WIU was the only public uh, institution that I had applied to. Mm-hmm. Um, so it actually ended up being the most affordable option 
Um, and as a first generation collegian from a working class family, um, you know, while both my parents had some college but had no degree, uh, they were very much interested in trying to figure out how I could navigate um, not just access to, but persist and then get through, um, yeah. you know, a, a four year program. And so um, it was proximity to home. Uh, it was the the cost of uh, the tuition, uh, as well as, you know, them thinking about um, should I need them? Because, again, they were very, you know, nervous about, you know, this is her first time on her own. At least she, you know, is only, you know, four hour drive away. Right. And so I, I think it was all of that was was really tempered in the decision to, to start there because the other options uh my mother flat out said, well, we can't afford those. I don't know why you're <laughs> applying to these schools. We can't afford that. Um, and it doesn't make sense for you to be, and she called it encumbered. And I'm like, encumbered? She said, yes. Why were you going to you know, try to be laden with debt that you don't need to have? Um, because if you go to those other places, you will need to take out loans. Um, and we can be helpful. You still need to do so, but at least it won't be to the same extent if you, you know, go to Western Illinois. And uh, it ended up being a wonderful fit for me. Awesome. So I always ask the same first question because, you know, I invite guests who've definitely accomplished a lot and have become experts in their field. But I think for those who are listening and thinking about where they get started and where their journey can take them, I ask the question for two reasons. One, to show that we're all relatable and we've all been in that moment where we had to make a decision. And some of the factors are the same ones that those listening now would consider. And the second is that college can put you on the path to some really exciting things and some really rewarding parts of your career and uh, parts of your life. So, all right. So we've set up the conversation about community colleges and then the opening, I mentioned that they are really special. But for those who might not know that much about community colleges, give us some of the basics. What are some of the things that make community colleges unique and special? So community colleges, uh, you know, one of the things for me that's really special, being a native of the state of Illinois, being a girl from the south side of Chicago, I've often been, um, you know, very proud that the birthplace for community colleges is right here in Illinois. So in 1901, uh, Joliet Junior College um, is the first college that originated as a, a community college. It was actually born out of a high school, right? It was Extension High School. And I think that's one of the things that's unique about the institutions and the special is the relationship where it is um, most often, I think of it as a bridger. Um, between both the secondary education sector as well as four-year institutions. And so while it is a uniquely American invention um, in terms of uh, an engine for mobility for many students, right? So whether it's further education and getting students access to post-secondary and then in some cases where they wouldn't even have access to college if it not, had not been for, you know, the community college um, tier, to moving to a four year for transfer and or to further uh, education. Beyond that, you know, I think there are transfer pathways even that folks um, don't really think about that's unique about community colleges in terms of transfer pathways to graduate education, um, as well as gainful employment, you know, with industry partners. So I think that makes it unique. Um, you know, they've often been called democracies colleges, um, the people's colleges. And I think that is because, um, Another special feature of community colleges is 
um, prior to community colleges, um, higher education um, had been much more elite in terms of who had access. And so if you weren't from affluent backgrounds, um, it wasn't as much access. And particularly if you were a racialized minority, again, there were not as much, uh, there weren't as many opportunities, um, you know, and so short of, you know, um, going to historically black colleges and universities who have long um, done a wonderful job in, um, you know, making sure that there is upward mobility and um, college going cultures for, for black colleges in particular, I think that community colleges um, are again, very unique in that they can provide someone with both credentials that have labor market value for right now, but also on ramp um, to do more and be more um, beyond the two year sector. Mm-hmm. I think I want to maybe just follow up on that a little bit. So for those who are looking at college and thinking about going to community college, uh, I know that the comparison will probably be there. So if they choose a four-year institution where they might go and get a bachelor's degree, they might be saying, can I do the same thing at a community college? Um, at some, you can. At some, maybe that's not an option. Could you maybe break down what are the types of credentials that somebody who goes to a community college might be able to get and what they can do with them? Sure. So you have... Um... You can have what is incremental credentialing in many regards, right? We talk about stackable. So there are folks that are there to do short-term certificates. Um, they may do longer-term certificates. Um, there's where those certificates can, in some cases, um, articulate, right? Where we have um, a, agreements where they can stack from the certificate to an associate's degree. Um, so with the associate's degree, you can have uh, multiple types of associate's degrees, right? So there's um, an associate's of arts, there's an associate's of science, there's um, uh, associate's in fine arts, <laughs> you know, <laughs> there's, and, and there's also applied associate's degrees. And those applied associates are, again, like perhaps in fine arts or mm -hmm. um, in applied sciences, right? Um, and so there's also where um, community colleges award baccalaureate degrees. There are applied baccalaureate degrees um, that community colleges award too. So those are uh, some of the credentialing in terms of pathways. Yeah. So I know that for some who are considering community college, they might think they already know as much as they need to know about them. But I also imagine you as a researcher, you probably get to a point where you hear lots of myths and lots of assumptions that you'd like to probably say that's not quite what you think it is. Are there any common myths or things that most people assume about community colleges that you would address and say you could set the record straight on? Mm hmm. Yes, for sure. <laughs> so, you know, one of the things that I've heard over the years um, you know, the perception is that community colleges aren't real colleges, mm -hmm. right? Um, that they're extension high schools, or, you know, that there's a myth that if somebody goes to a community college that they must not be able to, to cut it academically, right? So perhaps, you know, the four-year route wasn't um, something that was a reality for them. And that's why they had to go to community college. That's a myth too. There's a lot of, uh, there are a lot of community college students that um, are going to community colleges for their programs of study um, because they also see um, getting more um, bang for their buck, if you will, in terms of being able to 
pursue um, their gen ed uh, requirements, the general education requirements in terms of the coursework, if even if they and utilizing the transfer function, even if they don't want to have an associate's degree. Um, and then there are those that want the associate's degree and, and still would seek transfer, right? Um, I think another myth is um, some people assume that community colleges are largely vocational in nature. You know, that, oh, that's just if you mm -hmm. go when you want to, you know, for the trades or, you yep. know, some kind of VOTEC job, um, that somehow it's not just plan B, but that's where you go if you uh, don't want a sure fire route to success. But there are lots of people that have become successful, right? There's a, a, a whole nother counter narrative to, you know, what the portrait and the face or profile of a community college student is and one is success. So, you know, when you think about people who have gone to, um, you know, I think about my own, again, being a Chicagoan, somebody like Gwendolyn Brooks, I mean, she's a Pulitzer Prize winner, right? Prize winning, um, you know, author. She went to a community college, you know? Yeah. And so Tom Hanks has always talked about his time at a community college and, um, mm -hmm. you know, that it did him well in terms of thinking about his approach to, um, you know, to uh, his art. And so, I mean, there are any number of folks that have come through the door sills of, of college, but through community colleges, where they have been propellers, they provided a launch pad or a springboard um, to folks being, um, you know, in the process of becoming who they want to be and, a, and a, a core piece of where they're going to end up going. It's, it's been shaped by that community college experience in a positive way. Yeah. Well, Ebony, I have heard each of those myths and found myself in a little bit of a debate with a friend recently who told me in that context why uh, he didn't want his son to go to community college. And I found myself, you know, really about to pull out my list of pieces of articles to send. And it was, um, I think I, I made a strong enough case to say, give it another look because the first response was that uh, I don't want, uh, he, he didn't want, you know, to suggest a community college for this idea that his son was going to miss out on the college experience. I'm thinking, Oh no, no Co community college can give you a lot of experiences that would be just as impactful. And it's not even a second option to say that that's your second or plan B, but it could be a plan A. And I think, honestly, if I had it all to do over again, Ebony, I might actually have considered starting, you know. That's a, yeah. So, so much, much there. Yeah, so. I'm with you. I'm with you on that. There's, there's a lot of people who um, somehow they don't believe that, that there's student life that there's vibrant student life and, and campus activities, you know, on community college campuses. And there's so many different things that students can, you know, become engaged with in terms of student involvement and registered student organizations, or even the fact that, you know, uh, roughly a fourth of all community colleges have res life, mm -hmm. you know, so that if you want a residential experience in terms of, of uh, you know, having other activities and engagement that are beyond the classroom, that's there. Yeah, absolutely. If, if those who are listening now could see my face, I'm smiling for all the reasons you just described, because I know this to be true. And I knew we would need to do this episode to dispel some of these myths. So we're going to go to the break. And when we come back, we're going to move past the basics and get your expertise on what community college students who are currently enrolled or those who are thinking about community college can do to thrive in that environment. Do you know 
know about the website studentaid.gov? Well, if you're planning to attend college and you think you might be eligible for financial aid, but don't know where to start with your application, I'd suggest you visit this website. Not only does this site explain various types of financial aid, but it provides a step-by-step -step guide for how it works and what to expect. For example, if you think you might need to apply for a student loan, or if you already have one, the site provides information about repayment. Now, one of the first pieces of advice on the website's homepage is to get started early with your financial aid planning. And you can do that by going to studentaid.gov. Now you know. All right, so Ebony, welcome back. Are you ready for the Ask the Expert set of questions? Let's do it. All right. So earlier in the first half of the show, you mentioned that community colleges have a lot of opportunities for students to get engaged outside the classroom. And I think that the, the term commuter student or commuter campus might make someone think that they are, there are not as many opportunities for them to do things like clubs and activities like they might do in an on-campus residential four-year campus environment. But I think you set the stage and told us that, that is not the case. And now that we know that, what are some of the resources that students who attend community college can get involved in? So there's generally a, um, a office for campus activities, right, or student life at, at community colleges, and they have similar to their four-year counterparts. There's, you know, opportunities to join student government. Um, there's all types of clubs in mm -hmm. terms of affinity groups. You know, um, some. Uh, honors associations, um, as well as um, honors fraternities that students can engage with. So they're both academic and social uh, in nature. Um, there's also where um, there's rich opportunities relative to the arts. And so you can attend and, and or participate if you're a thespian and you would like to, you know, get into plays or um, you know, work backstage and consider production and that kind of thing. Those there's opportunities there. There's rich opportunities in terms of communications um, and broadcasting. You know, if you're interested in, um, you know, uh, what is a local uh, kind of PBS station sometimes that can be housed uh, with community colleges as well as um, you know student radio um, mm -hmm. or NPR related. Um, networks. And so there's a lot of things that students can get engaged with. That's really cool. I think uh, I would benefit as I try to make this podcast better, you know, each time around and then having some type of skill like that, that'd be really cool. So earlier in the show, you also mentioned uh, this idea of transfer. And so you know, for those who are familiar, transfer meaning that they might start at a community college with the single goal of leaving the community college and transferring or attending a four-year institution to complete their studies uh, for their next credential there. For those who are in that situation, maybe thinking of that path, either they're about to start at community college and then transfer after they finish their associate's degree, or those who are already in community college and getting ready to make that move, what advice would you offer about transfer um, processes and how to make that the smoothest transition possible? Right. So generally speaking, you know, for, so there's a couple different things. Um, if we're talking about a high school student who's had opportunities to um, participate in some, you know, accelerated pathways, if you will, uh, to community college, um, while it's not what we would call your typical, you know, transfer, um, it is a it's transfer of sorts, right? So we have, um, you know, you want to make sure that the classes that you're taking, um, if you are a high school student and you're doing dual credit, that you actually do get dual credit 
um, you know, for those in terms of your high school um, graduation requirements and that they align with the gen ed requirements so that you can make sure you don't have credit loss. Mm -hmm. um, and that, and so in some cases, depending on if it's CTE or, um, you know, other areas that the credits may not be transferable, right? So you just want to be real clear on, on what that is. Um, and then the other part is for those that are um, at community colleges and then they want to, to transfer um, to a four-year institution, um, because actually I'm going to actually talk about three different transfers, right? So I talked about kind of the transfer of credits of, of high school students doing dual enrollment or concurrent enrollment, right? Mm -hmm. And then there's the transfer of a community college student, some of which will be transfers prior to degree completion. And in some states, they have articulation initiatives that are statewide, where there's a package of, of credits that if you follow this, it's been crosswalked, you know, with each of the community colleges and their four-year um, state institutions. And, you know, it's not where um, you're audited and you lose credit and it should just transfer with you. Some have the arrangement of if you complete the associates, they'll take the entire 60 hours, um, you know, and so you want to, again, in terms of making it have some ease, um, when you think about the transfer process, you want to quite early on speak with the transfer advisor um, on both sides, right? So the sending and the receiving institution, um, particularly if there is not a, a clear um, and, and very kind of public facing, um, you know, transfer agreement or articulation mm -hmm. initiative in your state. Um, so that that way you have a plan, you know, that you're putting to work and understand what efforts required to make transfer happen for you and in such a way where what it is you take, you're not losing money, you're not losing credits, right, to make it as seamless as possible. And then there's another type of transfer and it's reverse transfer, but it's not what you think. Um, so sometimes people think reverse transfer and they think, oh, this person starts at a four-year institution, they stop and then they, they go to a two-year institution instead and they're yep. taking the credits from the four-year and applying it to a two-year or they're gonna try to, to stay at that two-year until which time they could transfer back to a four-year. Um, well, you know, certainly there's the vertical transfer of someone going from a community college to another community college or a four-year college to another four-year college. But then there's transfer that is, um, you know, uh, vertical and not horizontal, where it's two-year to four-year. And then there's reverse transfer, where someone could transfer from a four-year to a two-year and, and just finish out in two-year. Or it could be where someone who's never um, completed their associate's degree they transfer from a community college short of having completed an associate's, but while they're at their four-year institution, they are, uh, the credit itself is called credit when it's due. Mm -hmm. um, and, and researchers, um, you know, Jason Taylor, Deb Bragg, um, Maria um, Solar, they've done work around the the actual credit itself being transferred back, not the individual having transferred from a four-year to two-year so that they can actually take credit hours and apply them back to their sending institution to complete an associate's while they're actually working on their bachelor's degree. Yeah. Right? And so, um, so this transfer process 
um, there's it's it's multi layered, and and I, and what I do like is the fact that I think there's ways in which it promotes student mobility, right? But there's still ways that we can um, try to clarify the different pathways and try to make them more tightly coupled so that it can accommodate student mobility so that we can have more equitable transfer um, experiences and outcomes and that we um, accommodate what we call student swirl, right? Because students don't just attend one institution, you know, mm -hmm. it's kind of a, you know, that first time, full time, um, you know, with no stop out or lag time, you know, um, that is becoming increasingly not the norm. <laughs> so students are, you know, taking classes at a community college while they're still enrolled full-time at a four-year. They're stopping in and taking a class while they're home in the summer at a community college, or they're starting at a community college and doing two, three semesters, then transferring to a four-year, and then still maybe, you know, uh, having said, yeah, I want to be a part of reverse transfer, credit when it's due, and, uh, being able to get an associate's awarded while still working on a, a baccalaureate degree. So mm -hmm. my tips for transferring are just that um, you wanna make sure as best you can where you wanna transfer, what you wanna transfer in. Um, that way you won't waste time, money and effort taking classes that won't um, help you to matriculate in that program or to that institution. Doc, that that is that is so much advice. I think we could have made a whole show called Speaking of, of College Transfer, which might be a future episode, uh, frankly, because I think about the number of students who have one vision or picture of what they want to do and may make a decision halfway through or at some point decide that part of that decision is to transfer to another institution. It could be community college to four-year. It could be community college to another community college. It could be four-year to four-year. But um I think of all of what you described, uh, I can say for sure the part about knowing where you're going and what the requirements are is huge. So uh, some many, many years back in my policy days working in Florida, um, I was part of a research team that was looking at the transfer rates of those who were about to finish at a community college with their associate in arts degree and transfer to a four-year institution in the state compared to those who started off in their first and second year at a four-year university to see uh, among those two groups, did they actually finish their four-year credential at the same rate? And the community college students uh, that were at that point, we surveyed them also and asked them like, you know, do you know about your options? And most of them said uh, they knew they could transfer, but they didn't feel like they were completely clear about the requirements to do so. And so that left a huge opportunity to do more around that area of advising all the things you just described. Now that was, uh, let's say 12 years ago. So I suspect that things have improved significantly. And it wasn't a tremendous like uh, thing like, oh my goodness, this is a huge oversight and we you know, need to make moves immediately. But it definitely unearthed a lot of the student perspective about how complex it can be to understand what your options are. So Thank you for all of those pieces of advice. And um, I'm glad you mentioned reverse transfer because the Did You Know segment of the show talked about reverse transfer in a previous episode. I don't remember which one by top of mind, but uh, yeah, so shameless plug for reverse transfer in there too. So, all right. So we talked about the, 
the the out of classroom resources. We talked about the things to know about transfer. I got one more ask the expert question for you. And this one relates to the student experience on a personal level about balancing school and other priorities. So the profile of the community college student for some is that they are doing school as well as work or school as well as family responsibilities or maybe all three and plus another thing. So for those who are currently enrolled in college uh, part-time and trying to manage that community college environment, along with their other responsibilities. Based on your research about what helps community college students be successful, what advice do you have for students who might be listening and they're enrolled part-time and doing other things as well? So that's one of the things in terms of, I guess, connect to an earlier um, question or conversation we were having around um, resources and student life. And so um, when someone's part-time student, sometimes it can be, um, you know, harder, particularly, uh, you know, most cases, um, our part-timers are also working at least part-time, if not maybe even full-time, right? And so being able to take part in, in different clubs and events and programs um, may not be as accessible in terms of, of scheduling, but to the extent that um, within, let's say if I was, you know, I was a psych major, um, you know, part of student life in many cases is having a psychology club, you know, so that students, even though they're busy, if they can find ways to be very strategic and intentional about um, their um, engagement outside of the classroom, you know, so which clubs um, connect to, um, you know, my degree plan or goal, right? Um, which clubs um are more identity-based. And, and so maybe I want to join the, the Gender and Sexual Alliance Club or the LGBTQ Club, or, um, you know, uh, I want to be on um, the student orientation team. Like, to the extent that you can, try to pick at least one other thing that is actually going to serve to um, complement your program of study and or provide you with a lifeline for staying the course and, and persisting um, to have that sense of connectedness, to have a sense of belonging, mm-hmm. um, because that's really important. Um, I think the other part of it, too, is when it comes to part timers, especially those that also have transfer um, aspirations that um, try to plan ahead planning ahead is is really key. And so if you can, if and when time permits, um, look at, well, based on my interests, you know, and again, a lot of people, you know, it's not necessarily layman's language when you say articulation agreements or whatever, right? <laughs> but but right. to maybe ask, a, you know, a counselor, advisor, or a faculty member, you know, I'm just wondering, are there any special transfer relationships y'all got? you know, with, with other institutions. So then um, just getting a sense of, even though I'm part-time, um, if I know that my ultimate goal is to obtain this degree plus transfer, where this is my on-ramp to a bachelor's degree, just knowing, you know, what's the minimum GPA that I need to have, mm-hmm. right, um, to get into a four-year college or that particular program or a school within that university like what what do I need to have um beyond the grades are there um you know certain types of credits they might take or or not take you know just trying to find out what 
what is the process? I think that could be helpful um, because then you kind of, in terms of the time it takes to make the transition, you've done some leg work um, that's deliberate and intentional to try to set yourself up to make sure that you can make it as seamless as possible, will not have as much, um, you know, of a problem potentially with any credit loss um, and yep. time to degree, you know, upon making the transition. Yeah, I think. And then that yeah, way too, think, you can speak to in your application, you know, um, while you were busy working and, and going to school, but that you still found time you know, to be in a horticulture club, you know, and that's why you want to get in the crop sciences program, you know, or show, you know, some connectedness there. I'm going to get my, you know, AAS or my AS um, uh, Associates of Science in Criminology. And I was part of, you know, the Social Justice League Club or the Criminal Justice Club or, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Ebony, I see how you tied all those answers together. And so if the, if the first answer was talking about how to get involved outside the classroom, the second one is how to manage your credits and not take excess hours. And the third one kind of combined all that together. And then it's sprinkled in a little bit more of being intentional with choosing your out of classroom experiences. I see a theme here. And honestly, I think if somebody were listening to this conversation, they might not necessarily attach community college to it. And I think your, your responses uh, accomplished exactly what I was hoping for this episode, which is that I wanted to highlight community colleges for the reasons why they are a definite option for many students um, and that the myths that are out there are definitely ones that we need to dispel and lead with all the value uh, that it can offer a student who's in college. And so there's so much more we could talk about. You know, I think we could easily get into the conversation about free community college and a whole bunch of other stuff, but I think we got to leave some fun for later. So I want to close the, the episode with the same question I ask everybody. So the first question was about where you got your college start and what made you uh, choose the go there, the factors that you considered. I want to now look forward. So thinking about all that you know, all that you experienced back then, all that you know from your research about college now, imagine that you get an opportunity to put together a backpack for somebody who's going to start college uh, in the next six months. What's something that you would put in that backpack and why? Ooh, that's a good question. Yeah, it's one of my favorites. Hmm. Okay. So what would I put in a backpack for someone about to start college yep in the next six months in the next six months and this is irrespective of uh the community college context it can be a community or, college student if, you, if you want sure well I, I do think it's something that would apply um to any college um context but I think um front of mind is a planner <laughs> okay is a plan. I'm sitting up here with, with one right you know, yeah. next to me. Because I think that, um, you know, and many times people, uh, you know, they use their devices. They don't actually, I'm kind of old school. I still like to write some things down, right? Um, I just think I need the uh, ability to, to have another way of having to sink in what's going on other than just, you know, through Outlook. Um, you know, but I think a, a planner is good. Um, but Speaking of plans, um, and, and maybe there's a way to fit it in this backpack, particularly if it is a small kind of poster board, like the mini, uh-huh. you know, kind of, um, you know, desktop version. Um, but to, to, to do some vision boarding, like to do a vision board, to think about um, 
you know, a process of, so whether you have a journal or whether you have, um, again, like this kind of, what would be the equivalent of an eight by 10, you know, little poster board that you would um, think about what you want to do, you know, during semester one, um, what you want to do, you know, um, you know, during year one, year three, year five, you know, one of the things I like to do is to work my way backwards. And so if folks actually, you know, like, who do you want to be? Or what do you want to be when you grow up? And mm -hmm. say, oh, I want to do this. And then it's like, oh, okay, well, here are some of the things that, you know, you might want to explore and that you, you need to, to maybe think about in order to get there. And these are some of the steps in between and kind of fill in the, the in-between stuff. And so, you know, thinking about the extent to which um, in that backpack, um, wanting them to have something that is food for the soul. So, you know, if they have the opportunity in between classes, even however brief to, to journal, um, to, um, you know, have a, kind of a, a pocketbook of, of, of uh, what would be, I don't know, words of affirmation or, mm -hmm. you know, quotes uh, that give uplift, you know, I, I think that's good to have. Um, sure. because, um, you know, it's not about a sprint. Um, it's, it's really about the, the journey. And so if folks can be kind of reflective and, and thinking through what am I passionate about? Um, what do I think is my purpose? Mm -hmm. Um, and then trying to find themselves and put themselves, um, in an on-ramp that has a, a pathway, you know, where that lane intersects and jives very well with who they are at their core in terms of purpose and passion. Because I think with purpose and passion, you get more organically what can be persistent, mm -hmm. right? And so, and, and with that, hopefully, you know, we see them complete. Um, and so the backpack has to be such that it's not just about textbooks um or supplies um but that it is food for the soul and then literally food like you need some snacks in that backpack <laughs> yes <laughs> you know um so that you can have some sustenance you know to feed your your brain um and your body you know you, you need a hydration pack you know yeah. get a bottle of water get get a you know, some uh, Gatorade or something for those electrolytes, you know. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, so my backpack is probably a little eclectic and, and, and maybe it's a little bit out there, but my backpack has, you know, it has a small journal, um, you know, for those sparks of creativity and for journaling and for dreaming and the thinking about, you know, being someone who's in progress because we're all um, in the process of becoming and you know, rethinking and, and kind of planning out, you know, um, who it is you want to be. Um, and then also with that plan, making sure that from day to day, you you have action steps, you know, what is it you want to try to get accomplished? You might not take mm -hmm. off everything, but if you are, you know, keeping track of when assignments are due, if you're keeping, you know, track of when assignments are due, work hours, other kind of commitments, um, and such. And then again, having something that 
would um, inspire you and affirm you um, so that, you know, if there's a day that isn't necessarily the magnificent Monday or a terrific Tuesday, um, you know, but something that's more of a trippy Tuesday and a mag Monday or whatever, but, but there's something that can help you to uh, reset and refrain and then uh, approach the next day with fresh eyes and, um, and a new openness to what that day can bring. Yeah. Well, Ebony, I'm going to say the same thing I say after everybody who answers that question, which is that I need the backpack. And so I don't think your backpack was too eclectic. I've heard all types of answers. Some of them are actually uh, filled with non-tangible things like, you know, ambition and, you know, positivity. So I think a vision board and a planner and some Gatorade and a journal and water and words of affirmation is a perfect type of backpack and I have to have it. So I have to tell you again that uh, when when a friend wrote me and said, hey, are you going to do one on community colleges? I knew that I needed to. And I still think there's so much more to be shared about this. But I look forward to somebody listening to this episode and saying, hey, I was thinking about community colleges and now I think I'm going to do it. And so thank you for all of your work and helping us understand the nuances and the things that make community colleges special for your commitment to the students that actually are attending and all the things that are probably still left to be shared about that. So Ebony, this accomplished exactly what I was hoping. And thank you so much for joining me on the show. It's time to ask Dr. P, ask Dr. P, ask Dr. P, get the essence that you need. Today's question is from Tiffany in Florida. Tiffany writes, Dear Dr. P, what should I do if I want to go to a specific college but can't get a scholarship? Tiffany, this is an interesting question, and I have two questions for you to consider as you sort through your options. The first question is to ask yourself why you want to attend that specific college. Is it because of the location or maybe a certain degree program? Or is it because you know someone who's already attended that college or may be currently enrolled there? The second question to ask yourself is whether you've given some thought to other colleges that might offer some of the same things you desire in your first choice, but at a price that you can afford. Perhaps there's another college that's just right for you if you're open to doing a little bit more searching. Now, I know these counter questions to your original question are a bit simple, but I think if you think about both for a while, there could be another option out there for you. I wish you the best with your search and write me again sometime. I'd like to know what you decided. If you're listening to this show and you have a question about college, you can write me at amelia at speakingofcollege.com and I'd be glad to answer your question and maybe feature it on a future episode. For now, that brings this first episode of season two to a close. As I think about the title of the episode, which is, should I consider a community college? I think the quick and obvious answer is absolutely. I also hope this chat helps you see why community colleges are a great option and that it sparks your interest in learning more. I'll be back with you and speaking of college again soon, but in the meantime, I hope you have an inspiring day.